So Christ did not exalt himself, verse 5, excuse me, to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And if you look in John 8, 54, I think we have that passage up there. We don't? I'm sorry. Did I not give that to you? All right, John 8, 54, he, Jesus talks about that he did not assume the role or he did not glorify himself, but God glorified him and that he will be able to glorify God in return. So basically, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And it's in verse 6, he says also in another place, and um, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right, so this is where this guy comes into play, this mystery guy. And see, what I mean by that, we don't have very little of, of this guy. There's only two passages that alludes to this guy, Melchizedek. It's, it's also it's in Genesis 14, 17 through 20. I'm going to read that with you. Do we have that passage as well? Okay, it says, after his return, this is, this is uh, Abraham, after his return from the defeat of Chalmader, uh, Chal, how do you ever say that word? The kings were there with him, and the king of Solomon went out to meet him, or the king of Sodom, in the valley of Shiva, which is the king's valley. In verse 18 it says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was a priest of the God Most High. In verse 19 it says, And blessed, he said, Blessed is him, and he said, Blessed be Abraham, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So basically, that's all we have other than one other passage in Psalms 110, verse 4, where David says, he says, uh, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so, anyway, the story with Abram, basically, Abram went out and fought some kings, and, and he opened up a, a can of 50 fouling drum, calling drum of whoop, whoop tail, and, and he beat a bunch of kings, and then he met this guy, Melchizedek, and, and Salem. And you got to understand, Salem means uh, peace. What was uh, the, the city that David established in his reign? Jerusalem, right? All right. That, that, that name in there was exactly, it means the same, the city of peace. And the, the, his name, uh, the king of Salem, this means the same thing. And it was established in the same exact spot. So there was a significance there. But anyway, that's all we have. We also get the, the whole principle of tithing, the tenth. That's where we get that from, from that one passage there. But a David alluded to it in Psalms 110, and then we see this in Hebrews. And a matter of fact, we don't just see it in chapter 5. You're going to see it in chapter 6 and chapter 7. And so my belief is that there were some more writings or there were some more oral traditions about this guy that they understood all too well that we don't necessarily have, but we still have enough to understand that there's some principles behind what this writer is writing. So let's move on. Verse 7. In the days of his flesh, being Jesus, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And we has heard because of his reverence. 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he had suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we get a glimpse of Jesus assuming the role of the priest. Why is this so significant? Because Jesus is going to be the only one who can assume the role as prophet, priest, and king. Okay, why is that so significant? Because God always used, in the Old Testament, prophets. He always used priests. And he always used king. But never in the, and throughout the Old Testament, anybody assume all three roles. Why? Because we, as human beings, are insufficient that we cannot carry out that role. It was only one person that can carry out that role, being Jesus in his perfection. But yet, we know that he was 100% God in his perfection, but we also know that he was 100% man. Why? Because verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He goes on to say that he is, we talked about it last week, he's able to empathize with us because of his suffering, because of being here on earth 100% man. But yet, it goes on to say that he became, or uh, he to give up offering prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. So he interceded on behalf of humanity. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. How does this apply to me in 2021 in Ruston, Louisiana, me being in this stage of life? Well, I'm glad you asked because it was significant to the readers in this time to know that Christ fulfilled all three roles, prophet, priest, and king. They understood that meant something to them. Okay, and again, what did I say last week? What was the writer trying to do? He was trying to build up their confidence of Jesus in their lives and so that they will be able to endure the what the persecution to come, but also they wouldn't go back to their old ways. Because we're going to see here in a minute, they became dull of hearing. But they want to go back to the old sacrificial system. They want to go back to the old traditions. And, and, um, and it's easy to go back to what we know. But how does it apply to us? Number one is this, is that Jesus fulfills, period. Jesus fulfills. We just sat here and sang two songs about how one, I know one, I was noticing one verse, Will talked about, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that we tried everything that this earth has to offer, but it didn't fulfill. And then we talked about the, the song that Brooke just sang about he fills me up. And, um, and so with that same concept in mind, how they understood the importance of him fulfilling all three roles, Christ fulfills our life, and, and he's the only one that can bring about that fulfillment. You know, you heard it said that Blaise Pascal, the 17th century philosopher, you know, said that there's a God-sized vacuum in all of our, our God's, excuse me, a God-shaped vacuum in all of our, our hearts and our lives. And he, he didn't exactly say that, but that's where we get that, that thought from. He said, this is what he said. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in a man true happiness, of which all that is now remains is the empty print and trace? 
This he tries to, in vain, to try to fill everything around him, sinking in things that are not there to, to help, he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since his infinite abyss can be filled only with the infinite and the immutable object, in other words, by God himself. So what I'm trying to say is that you can try anything and everything to fulfill that spot in your life, but it will never fulfill because Christ can only fulfill that in your life. And, it's, and guys, that's why we are on this journey or this search to try to fulfill that need in our life. We, we try to fulfill it with relationships. We try to fulfill it with, with even good things. You know, you guys are studying to, for your careers, and, and you're going to try to put that career in that spot that can only be filled by God. You're going to try to put that person in that spot that can only be filled by God. I was having a conversation with a group of young um, uh, professionals last night, and a lot of them were single, and they were talking about the struggle with being single at their life stage, especially when they're on Instagram and everything else, and they're looking at everybody's weddings and engagement pictures and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, and it's hard, I know it's hard in that moment to try to explain and say, hey, guys, I know you want that in your life, but it's not ever going to fulfill like you think it is. Let me tell you something. I have a wife named Melissa, and she's a sweetheart, and she's pretty good-looking, too. And, um, but... But here's the thing is, she makes a great wife, but she makes a lousy God. I, I say that a lot, and I mean that. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. She just makes a lot. She's never meant to be in that spot where Christ is supposed to be in my life. And so as you think about those things in the near future, you know, whether it's a spouse or a dating relationship like that, it's going to let you down in some way, in, in, in some capacity. Because it's never meant... To fill that God-shaped vacuum. You're going to try to fill it with sin. You know, we got this world that, that's offering us anything and everything. We got a, a, a Satan who's going to lure us or try to tempt us in our weaknesses. You know, and then we have a flesh that, that's going to you know, want to, to be filled and, and everything. And so when all that comes together, we can try to put things in our life that doesn't necessarily satisfy but yet, if Christ can fulfill all three roles, prophet, priest, and king, he can fulfill our lives. So he fulfills. Number two is this, the, that the word of God supplies. Look at this in verse 11. This is where I want to camp out for just for a few minutes. He says, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Basically, what the writer is, is, is trying to place Jesus and, 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 for, and elaborate that Christ fulfilled all the prophecies that they were looking to, but they become dull of hearing. For Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on the milk is unlike in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But... The solid food is for the mature, for those, have the pow uh, for those who have the powers and discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. evil. Guys, his word supplies everything we need for life. And if we're going to find that fulfillment in Christ, we need the person who is going to fulfill us. And the only way we're going to know God is by seeking out. This is what he has given us 
to be able to know him. Not only he's given that, he's given us the Holy Spirit that resides within our life. But guys, the two work in tandem with one another. They don't work apart from one another. They have to have one another to, to, to fulfill our lives, to be able to make the connection between God and humanity. Just as Christ was the propitiation, the, the, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, the Holy Spirit is that mediator between us and God and his word. How do we know that, that Christ's word supplies? Because he is truth. What did Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Matter of fact, he says in John 1.1, 1, 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He himself is the truth. And the truth will supply all that we need to be able to be fulfilled. Guys, let me, let me, let me challenge you with something. Because I know we're in Louisiana, we're in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Let's be honest, Ruston itself is the holy mecca of college ministry. If y'all don't find a church to get involved with, it's your fault. I mean, there's churches on every corner. But at the same time, if your church is, is just your culture, if your faith is just your culture, not only is it going to change, but it's going to fail. It's, it's going to fail. Why? Because cultures change. I've seen it change in my lifetime. And it breaks my heart when I see people who are, you know, are grounded, who you think are grounded, and then they go off and experience another culture, and you end up adopting things that are not of God. They start to get involved in things that are not of God, embracing things and, and practicing in the things that are not of God. And it all boils down to that, that their faith wasn't their own. It was what they grew up in. It was what they were around. That's where they find comfort in. But yet... When it became challenged, they gave it up. And so the Word supplies guidance for our life. It supplies principles that we need to live by. And not only that, it supplies so much more like hope that we need. I don't know about y'all, but we need a good glimpse of hope if we're looking you know, around in the shape of our world's in. It, in, it involves our, it guides our supplies instruction. We talked about last week, we need instruction for our life. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a life unto my path. And so it supplies everything that we need. It says that Jesus, Jesus said himself that he is the bread of life. He is the food that we need to sustain and so his word supplies everything we need. And so it is, his word is, has to be the foundation of our faith. If your faith is built on anything else, it will always change and it will always fail. The last thing is this, is that his word applies. Meaning that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can take that to our eternity. Guys, I'm betting my tombstone on the fact that Jesus died and rose again. And I know that his life is not only sufficient for my eternity, but also his life and his word is sufficient enough for my spiritual growth. Because here's the deal. As, as believers, God loves us so much, you know, that he loves us who we are, but he loves us so much that he won't allow us to stay as we are, and he wants us to go beyond ourselves and experience things that are beyond ourselves. But here in this passage where it talked about, he says, hey, look, 
He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the, the basic elementary principles of Jesus Christ. Guys, people, God wants us to go beyond the elementary teachings of Jesus Christ. I like that little song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And there's a lot of truth in that, and there's a lot of, of foundational things, but God wants us to go beyond that, to experience things beyond that. He wants us to be able to go beyond Sunday school answers. Why? Because Sunday school answers are good in Sunday school, maybe, but at the same time, when you experience something pretty heavy in life, it's not going to sustain you. I love in this passage that, that in verse 8, where it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Through, obedience through what he suffered. What does that mean? Is that means we're going to experience suffering. The question is, are we going to learn from it? Are we going to grow from it? If Jesus himself had to grow from, through suffering, what makes you think it's going to be any different from us? But guess what? Through the suffering, we have something that's sustaining. And that is his word. It, su it supplies what we need, but it also applies to our daily life. And so I just want to give some practical applications about reading God's word. Basically, I would just encourage you guys to, to dig deep into God's word. Do we understand everything that it has to say? Guys, I'm still perplexed by this guy named McKizledek. I'm perplexed by him. But yet, it still has enough for me to take away from it to know that I can move beyond myself. Is it hard? Yes, most definitely. It's, it's definitely hard to take time. To, 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 it's a discipline. And guys, I hate that word. I hate discipline. You know, because that's not me. I'm a left brain, you know, kind of creative guy. I'm off in the clouds all the time. I'm a dreamer. People like me hate discipline. That's why I don't work out. And, um, and so it relies on being disciplined to get, to get immersed in, into his word. But then all of a sudden he builds our faith through the, the, the reading of his word. And when the Holy Spirit makes that connection in our life, he grows our faith and he builds our faith. I can remember times in my life where I had these aha moments when I was reading God's word. And I was just like, God, thank you for revealing that to me. But guys, those times have been far less than the times where I had to open up Scripture and just start reading it and get immersed in it before I was able to have those moments. I got a friend named Butch Simmons, and he came not too long ago and spoke to our leadership. And Butch is getting on up in, in age. He's in his 70s now, and... And um, <laughs> he's fun to talk to. He gets to rambling sometimes. But the guy's been studying Scripture for 40 years. And he still gets up every morning and studies it for three hours. Now, I'm not saying that's for everybody. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't study Scripture for three hours this morning. But at the same time, it must be pretty significant for somebody to be studying four hours. And yet he still gets up and studies it for three hours in the morning and in time. Guys, it is a discipline. But yet, if you wanted to read the Bible in two years, the whole Bible, all you would have to do is read the Bible for six minutes a day. Six minutes. If you wanted to read it in one year, 12 minutes. I'm smart, huh? Six months. If you want to read the Bible in six months, read 25 minutes a day, the whole Bible. 
You can even grudge through Leviticus with 25 minutes. Now, Leviticus is pretty tough. If you want to read in three months, 50 minutes a day. And if you wanted to read through the whole Bible in one month, two hours and 29 minutes a day. Two and a half hours. That seems like a lot. But at the same time, listen to this. On average, users in the USA spend two hours and three minutes on social media. And I'm preaching to myself. On average, users in the USA spend four hours watching videos per day. Guys, we're going to get out of it what we put into it. What we give ourselves to. And so I just want to challenge us, and I'm, I'm just as convicted as the next person. Don't think we baby, baby boomers or whatever you want to call us still struggle with issues. We always say, my, my family jokes, and it's like we want to make a family announcement, we just tell my mama, because she's going to post it on Facebook. No matter what it is. <laughs> but guys, I just want to challenge you to get in the Word and to know the truth. If you don't have a plan, let's put one together. Talk to your small group leader. Guys, I've been seeing small group leaders and our leadership meeting with people one-on-one. I know they're willing and, and ready and able to meet with you because they're just doing their journey alone in this faith like you and I are. And so God's word fills and God's word applies and it supplies everything that we need. I love what Paul says in Philippians 4 19 that our God will supply all everything that we need. And I believe the first thing that, that he supplies everything we need is his word, his truth. So I want to challenge you with knowing God through knowing him through his word, through his word. Let me pray. Dear God, thank you so much for giving us your holy scriptures. And Lord, I know even as I allude to this, Lord, that I'm even convicted of myself of the, how I treat the opportunities and the, of having a copy after copy of your word. But, and God, I know you have given us it as stewards and and God we've been pretty free to be partakers of it here in the United States and God even in our state and and where we are here in Ruston and and God I know I've failed Lord I just pray God that we would just become a people who embraces the truth of your word God I just pray that we will have a conviction that comes from your word. And God, when we get lax of days, God, I pray that we will be a people that comes around um, and, and, and journeys together, Lord, and, and that you would provide through the church conviction where conviction needs to be provided, God, but you would also provide comfort where it needs to be provided, Lord. And God, I just pray as we sing this last song, God, that you would use 
God, what we've learned from the writer of Hebrews to change us and move us beyond ourselves.